Oh, here's Jeff. Hello, Jefferson. Hey, man. Give me a second here. Hi. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. I want to believe you, Nan. And welcome writer and director Jefferson Maneo to my summer layer. His latest feature is Cosmic Dawn, a trippy UFO cult saga starring Camille Rowe and Emmanuel Shariki. I'll give you the basic description, but know there's a lot more going on than this. After witnessing the alien abduction of her mother as a child, Aurora joins the UFO cult, The Cosmic Dawn. This movie is you're about to hear in this conversation. Visually, yes, it's an arresting kaleidoscope. Yet, it's also inspired by Jefferson's unexplained experience he had in his youth, what he terms are crazy lights. He's going to share his experience, and I don't know what to make of it. Part of me is Mulder, part of me is Scully. Like being prompted by the movie, you have to question your assumptions. Between the UFO cult and the experience of Aurora, who witnessed the alien abduction of her mother as a child, it's like all off kilter. What's going on here? <laughs> the only certainty is uncertainty, which is what you'd expect from a non-linear movie. This close encounter suggests an equally difficult question. Why do you believe what you believe? Some contemplation music comes from MGMT, who contributed a number of songs to the Cosmic Dawn soundtrack. That wonderful synth, mm, and the style of the movie combined to offer up a warm 80s sci-fi movie feeling. Check it out for yourself. Currently, Cosmic Dawn is available on on-demand platforms. But yes, oh yes, we got to start with Jefferson's personal experience with those crazy lights. Uh, so you're ready now to talk about close encounters of the fourth kind. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so for people that don't know, close encounters of the fourth kind is being abducted by a, a UFO or its occupants. Uh, close encounters of the fifth kind is a UFO event uh, claiming direct communication between aliens and humans which are kind of like some of the themes that are in this movie, Cosmic Dawn. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, of course, is the first contact uh, that we've seen in the classic Spielberg movie. But mm -hmm. before we get into Cosmic Dawn's uh, and their experiences, you had a close encounter when you were 12 years old. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I grew up in Saskatchewan, and I grew up in Saskatoon, but my my relatives, like my grandparents and some of my aunts and uncles, lived in the south uh, part of the province, sort of close to the U.S. border. Uh, my grandmother had a ranch uh, down there, and just outside a little tiny dot of a town called Saint Victor. Uh, and in Saint Victor, there's like petroglyphs and stuff like that. It's kind of an interesting little historical area, mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. sort of like uh, pasture land than the grain belt. And so there's a lot of cattle, cattle ranching and stuff down there. And so I used to go down in the summers and spend time with my grandmother because I just liked being down there. It's actually, I shot my first feature, Big Muddy, in, uh, in around that same area. Um, and so I used to go down there and, and spend time with her every summer. And, and one summer I was there staying at her house. It was just me and her and my grandfather. My grandfather was asleep. And I woke up in the upstairs bedroom and there were all these kind of crazy lights coming in through the through the bedroom window from outside and I came down down the stairs I remember looking at the at the clock before I got out of bed and it was like eleven thirty-two or something I can't remember the exact time but I remember looking at the clock 
and then going downstairs and going outside. Uh, and my grandmother was standing out in the yard and there were all these sort of brilliant lights sort of up, up above us, which is sort of similar to how it's, how it's presented in the, in the film, that sort of, sort of kaleidoscope of, of colors. Uh, and, and I came outside and she was just standing there looking at the sky and I came and stood beside her and, and asked her what it was and she didn't know. Um, and it maybe lasted five, six seconds. And then the colors just kind of like got sucked back as though they went through like a hole mm-hmm. and they, and the yard went dark and that was it. And I remember we told my grandfather, we saw it the, the, the next day, he didn't believe us. And most people that I've told never believed me either thought it was like Northern lights or whatever, but it was something a little bit different than that. And, and then I remember when I went upstairs, the, the clock was like four minutes behind what it was when I went downstairs, which I always thought was like very strange. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that's, that's kind of the experience, yeah. I guess, was just colors. Different? There's, there's no, there's no shape, no, nothing, no, no, like spotlight, you know, sort of classically shining down on us. Like <laughs> right on in, your chest in, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's no beam beaming us up into the sky or anything, but yeah. Was it scary or like, what, was there any kind of emotion or just, you just like, that's kind of weird. I think it's just like, just weird and, and strange. And I don't know, I, I guess you just, at first you're just sort of like, is it like a, a plane or what, like what, what is it? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I was 12, so yeah. I, I don't, I don't really remember what I thought. I just remember thinking this is really weird and what is going on. And then it was over very quickly. You talked a little bit about the, uh, the reaction that you got from when you tell people the story, has it kind mm-hmm. of shifted at all? Cause there does seem to be much more like interest now in aliens and like New York times is reporting on aliens and UFOs and things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, has it shifted? I mean, no, Okay. Not really. I mean, it's the same as I, th- I think it's very similar to if you've if any if anybody ever tells you they saw a ghost, there's like part of people that wants to believe in the unknown. And then there's the same, you know, everybody kind of carries sort of skepticism. You know, you try to rationalize everything, which I think is what we do as, as human beings. I mean, we rationalize a lot of awful, awful behavior and strange mm-hmm. events and all this type of stuff. Right. Trying to find some type of reason or meaning and, and for why things happen. So I think it'd probably be similar to that if anybody's ever, ever seen a ghost or has had a, that sort of mysterious kind of encounter. There's people that want to believe you because they want to believe in the unknown. And then there's other people that want to try to find a, a reason to disprove it or some type of rational explanation. So is there one that you would like, like, I guess, which one would it be worse or better? Like, is it that when people believe you or don't believe you? Because sometimes, uh, sometimes people that believe you may not be, the cheese may not be fully on the cracker either, right? Yeah, honestly, I don't really care. I mean, if they do, they do. If they don't, they mm-hmm. they don't. That's fine by me. But then that's another reason why I, my I make films or I'm interested in in art in general. You know, it's like to sort of express these ideas or experiences or whatever, and maybe make them more real in in my mind in some way. And was that the spark then for Cosmic Dawn? You just wanted to kind of like go through this experience yeah. that you had and kind of process it? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I like really the way that this, uh, the sort of genesis of this, of this story, I was living in Vancouver at the time and I, you know, sort of like a stereotypical 
writer, I'd go write at a coffee shop around the corner from my place because I lived in a very kind of tiny apartment and I had two young, very young children at that time. So I needed sort of, it was either there or I'd go to a library. But when mm-hmm. I was feeling lazy, I'd just go to the coffee shop. And I, I wanted to do something about like, originally I was kind of interested in doing something about Satanism, like a satanic cult, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of, I don't know why, but I was sort of interested in, in doing something along that. But then I, I, I would write at this coffee shop and I, I noticed, I started noticing that the same woman would come in every day and she would sort of insert herself at different tables and sit down and talk with people and I always found it very strange because she didn't know them so I was like is she just being friendly and or is she lonely or, or whatever it was but then I started noticing that some of these meetings were maybe perhaps pre-arranged and generally the people were very young I would say like early 20s late teens that she would be meeting with um, and then, and then I noticed that sometimes these people were crying, would start crying and she would start consoling them. Um, so then naturally I was just kind of curious. So I'd start eavesdropping on all this. And I, I found out that she was part of a group called Radiant Rose, which is sort of like a new age, you know, I guess you maybe you could call it a cult. It's a new age organization and in Vancouver, that's like, guess kind of similar to Ekankar. If anybody's mm-hmm. anybody, any of your listeners are familiar with Ekankar, which is, the sort of new age sort of crystal cult type thing with light swords and all this stuff. And actually anybody that's interested in star Wars, I would check out Ekankar because there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> a there's a lot of, yeah. there's actually a lot, I mean, just in researching. And so this led me down the path to research all these different sort of new age cults and the beliefs behind them and all this stuff. So this kind of, so it's shifted from Satanism into sort of more of a new age type thing. Uh, but you know, I, I, so I'd written a draft of the script and it was a little too like new agey, a little too sort of like yoga mat style cult. And I wasn't really interested in doing, mm-hmm. doing something like that. And then I just thought, well, maybe I can use this experience that I had when I was younger and sort of make it into UFO cult, maybe make it a little bit more of a genre type film. So that's sort of where, where that came from. But in doing all this research, I, I, I looked at all these different groups and there's actually a lot of sort of new age uh, philosophy and, and beliefs that are in star Wars. I mean, if anybody's familiar with the source family, they all talk about channeling the source, which is the force. And there's father Yod is the leader of the source group, which is kind of like Yoda. And, you know, they all wore these sort of flowing sort of robes, very much like the Jedi's and the Ekankar logo itself kind of looks like the rebel Alliance logo and Ekankar. They believe that like, once you ascend to the highest sort of level of, of knowledge or whatever you're given like this what they call the light sword and the light sword defeats evil and the world so there's all these sort of things that sort of feed into star wars which i found really interesting in sort of researching this but that's kind of where 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 this film took off as a combination of this past experience and then uh just sort of seeing this woman come in there and i was like well she's kind of recruiting which sort of fits into what i else what i wanted to do before but yeah. Uh, so it's all kind of transmuted into something different. Yeah, it kind of parallels some of the L. Ron Hubbard stuff with Scientology as well, right? That kind of blend mm-hmm. of science fiction and, I guess, new agey kind of culty kind of mm-hmm. practices. And, 
And a lot of this stuff is sort of rooted in occult beliefs too, as well. Like even, you know, Scientology is very similar to a lot of occultist beliefs. And anyway, so there, there's a kind of uh, meshing of, of different interests in a, in a lot of these groups. And so with that little spark then, can you break down a little bit of what Cosmic Dawn is about and who are some of the people involved in it? Well, I, I think Cosmic Dawn really is about belief. Um, and I think, you know, people, you asked me earlier about, uh, you know, what people's response was when I would tell them this story. And I, and I think it's just a question of what people are predisposed to believing, right? So in a way, to me, the film sort of asks that question, do you believe that this young woman who, you know, had this encounter and said, do you believe that this is, that this really happened? Was it really all, all in her mind? does this group that she meets that believes in alien life forms and, and other dimensions and stuff, are their beliefs true or are these people full of shit? You know, honestly, is sort of the question that I want the audience to be asking themselves while they, while they watch the film. So in a way, I think it's a film about, about belief and, and why people are predisposed to believing what they, what they do. Yeah. And you said it in a very unusual place, the screaming heads, uh, can you explain mm. where that area is? Because you write at the end uh, in the credits, there's a message that says we were mm -hmm. blessed to have been to this magical place. Mm -hmm. So, so that's a, that's in that's in Ontario. That's in northern Ontario in Berks Falls. Um, it's sometimes referred to as Midlothian Castle. Um, so uh, Peter Carmini, who's the artist behind all this, he had bought this this land way back. I'm not sure exactly when. But he's just this sort of eccentric artist, a really kind of prominent force in that community up there. You know, he, he could like to, in order to shoot on, on his property, he just wanted to make, make us to make a large donation to the local library. You know, so he kind of it's a very community centered place. He has a music festival there every year called Harvest Festival, which is in September, mm -hmm. I believe, generally. And we had actually we were we were scouting locations and our location scout up there said, you know, I read your script and you got to go check out this crazy place that I know. And I had never heard of, of screaming heads. So he took us to this place and it was just incredible. And we really like Peter and, and uh, cameo uh, is a good friend of his who plays uh, Cammy in the film. She's one of the cult members dressed in Brown. She's sort of the, the sort of caretaker of the property. And Peter's sort of the artist that creates all these screaming heads. And he's built himself this castle and all this stuff on this property. So it is like this really unique place. I mean, it's in the Atlas Obscura and, and all this stuff. And, um, and the festival is pretty popular as well. So we, we went there and kind of hit it off with them and asked if we, could, if we could shoot there. And they gave us permission to. And so from there we kind of worked that iconography, you know, the screaming head into the sort of overall design of the film. And staying with the design of the film, how did the film's approach to color develop and evolve as you made Cosmic Dawn? Because obviously like, the movie opens with like an alien abduction and there's this kind of purpley pink glitter haze. Um, mm -hmm. There's like all the cult members that you talked about. They all have different like uniforms and different colors, like kind of the jumpsuits kind of thing. Like, so mm -hmm. how did, as you kind of worked on the film, how did the color develop and evolve? Well, some of that comes from like the occult color scale. So in the occult color scale, there's different colors for each sort of level of knowledge or, you know, um, uh, as you sort of ascend through the different, the, you know, the different channels of 
occultism and stuff like that, right? With indigo being the highest and it all kind of feeds into like, you know, the different colors of the rainbow and all these different arrays and all that stuff. So that was sort of like the departure point for how color would be used. Um, and then, you know, there's some stuff like I, 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 I really like uh, James Terrell and Dan Flavin and artists like this. And, and so that's where the light panels in the wall kind of came from. And so it all kind of grew out of, grew out of that, like the use of, of color within a lot of these groups that I, I had researched and, and, um, yeah. And then just different artists that, that, uh, work predominantly with light. Yeah. The Dan Flavin stuff really showed in the, uh, the compound, I guess, for the mm-hmm. uh, UFO cult, right? Because just th- mm-hmm. that kind of style. And it's interesting because UFOs are traditionally, like when we started talking, like UFOs are traditionally associated with light. That's one of the consistent mm-hmm. stories and things that people see. There's a bright light or a number of lights or floating lights or whatever mm-hmm. maybe. And you as a filmmaker too, your job is basically to turn money into light. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of interesting that relationship between UFOs and light uh, as you make a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and light goes beyond that too. You know, people who have near-death experiences talk right. about light, you know, and stuff like that. So light kind of has this mystical sort of uh, place in like human belief in, in a lot of way. And I think no matter what religion you look at, you know, color plays a predominant role or there's predominant colors attached to, you know, it's green with Islam or with with Hinduism, it's, it's orange generally, right? So every religion sort of has its sort of core core colors and with catholicism it's purple i I i'd say you know purple blue white um so then it seemed seemed only natural to sort of have a um, kind of bold color scheme to to go along with this quasi religion that they're all involved in and not just a uh a bold color scheme but you also have a bold soundtrack as well Uh, mgmt Mm -hmm. does a number of tracks as well Mm -hmm. how did you get hooked up with them and like uh are they big ufo fans as well uh they're big genre film fans so andrew from andrew van weingarten from uh mgmt i I had a personal sort of connection to him uh through camille Rowe, who who used to be partners with him at one point in time Mm -hmm. and and i was a big mgmt fan and and i sort of talked to camille about that and she was like well you should reach out to him i know that they've been looking to do produce some music for films or they're interested in kind of doing some of that stuff and they're big genre fans. So that sort of led to talking to him. Unfortunately, he never ended up being able to sort of take on the full task of doing the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was involved, you know, he contributed a few tracks and, and from there we were fortunate enough to work with Alan Howarth, who uh, has done a bunch of John Carpenter movies in the 1980s, like Halloween three and they live and big trouble in little China and mm-hmm. escape from New York. So he's involved in all these classic sort of Carpenter films. And we wanted somebody that that could do sort of more of a synthy sort of, you know, throwback 80s style score. And and uh, Alan had scored another film that one of my producers had been involved in. And so that kind of led to that. And Yeah, was that kind of up. 80s vibe as well? Because like the, the font choice for the way Cosmic Dawn appears on the title, like uh, mm-hmm. the movie, some of the synth. Did you want to necessarily kind of throw in some of those kind of 80s kind of sci-fi throwbacks a little bit? Kind of like pepper yeah. them in? Yeah, I mean, more than anything, I just like to try. I mean, I try to do this with my first feature, too, is is I just like to make films that are, are kind of not tied to a specific time period, because I think that's a real way to sort of get your film dated. Um, so I like to and I also just think life is kind of like that. I mean, not everything 
in 2022 or, you know, is, I mean, people have couches that were made in the nineties and cars that were made in the two thousands. And then, you know, fashion that was maybe more, you know, fashion is cyclical and always kind of cycles in and out of different eras and stuff like that. So I kind of look at, at filmmaking that way as well. Um, so to never really try to date it, I didn't want to do anything that was very, you know, very specifically contemporary, uh, just to try to create a kind of timeless, uh, world or, or, you know, story. Yeah, that works. And how did you, uh, settle in on the, the two lead actresses? Both of them are really good. Camille Rowe and Emmanuel Shariki. How did you settle in on like, that's a, that was the vibe or what they had, uh, that you wanted to put them into the film? Um, we had one of our, uh, producers on the film, Mark Rasso had a working relationship, uh, with management 360, which is a company management company in Los Angeles, um, had worked with them before. And so we had sent them the script and said, Hey, we're looking to cast these roles. Um, we're interested in some people you represent. And Camille was not somebody that we were really familiar with. Uh, but they, they had recommended her and they said, Hey, take a look at, at her reel. And her reel was really great. I mean, she had, she had one thing on her reel that was like a self tape that she had done for another film. And I watched, it was maybe five minutes long and about three minutes went in. And I just thought she was just like talking with somebody off, uh, off camera or what I didn't know that she was actually running lines. Mm-hmm. And I was just really impressed. I was like, I can't believe that that was a scene because it actually just seemed like she was just having a natural conversation. So then I, I met with Camille and I talked with Camille and we kind of hit it off. And um, so we we decided to to cast her in the film. And then uh, Emmanuel, I've just always really liked. And and she's she was fantastic. I mean, she's been a real real supporter of this film from the from the very beginning. And um, and she did, I, I, I know I didn't need to see a reel from Emmanuel. I knew Emmanuel quite yeah. well from before. And, and yeah, so I, I think, I think they're both great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They both did a great job and they're, they're interesting too, because like you said, Emmanuel, like she's kind of like a veteran. She's been doing a lot of stuff. Right. And so she's mm-hmm. kind of been around the film scene and stuff like that. Where Camille is still like getting her footing in terms of like film and television, you know what I mean? And still like mm-hmm. growing. So, but she did a great job and she showed up and she was able to like balance both like the vulnerability of like having a mother abducted possibly by an alien and trying to mm-hmm. deal with this like UFO cult at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think she gives a great performance in the film. I'm really proud of the, of the work that she did and she's doing quite well for herself. You know, she had another horror film called uh, the deep house that came out Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of late last year or, or maybe it was in the summer it came out uh, which is also quite good I recommend people check that out and I know she's doing a whole bunch of TV stuff and all that that I'm not really at liberty to talk about but she's got a bunch of stuff kind of coming out here within the next year that's cool and as we're wrapping up then what is the alien language that they use in the movie oh I just created that I mean that that's just a it's a, I mean for people that speak more than one language I think they'll be able to pick up certain words because the sentence, the sentence construction is structured very similar to English, Mm -hmm. but all the word, basically I wrote this, wrote the text in English. And then I went through a, a lot of different languages 
finding words that would have the rhythm that I would like. So there's stuff that's pulled from Latin and stuff that's pulled from Tagalog and there's stuff that like all these different languages that are sort of mixed together uh, to, you know, there's Arabic words in there. So I've had a few screenings at the film where people ask like, what language is that? Cause I understood like random words, but mm-hmm. not, so it's kind of a mash. And, and then I would just change things to make it sort of flow easier off the tongue. So that's sort of the process that went into that. So was it fun creating like your own, like, cause we talked a little bit about like L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Star Wars mysticism. Was it fun kind mm-hmm. of creating your own cult and your own language and like developing? The language was the, the language was the, the funnest part for me. I mean, I love doing that. I would have loved to write everything in the compound in that, in that language. It was just fun. I mean, just even seeing the actors try to learn their lines and, and all that. It was fun. Your tagline for the, your 2017 short, uh, Tucson Hot Dam was a love letter to, yeah. the, to the weird capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And I just want to kind of circle back to what we we're talking about, about with like UFO uh, cultists and kind of the spiritualism. Like what mm-hmm. is it about like these beautiful freaks or people that live quote unquote on the margins that kind of interest you? That seems to kind of run through some of your work. They're just more interesting than ordinary <laughs> people. I mean, ordinary, you know, ordinary people are not, I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great films out there that are about ordinary people, but that's not sort of what attracts me to art, you know, or at least the art that I, I, I like, you know, I'm more interested in, in, you know, stuff that's not really visible or, or people that sort of exist at the margins or, or people that are part of some very specific subculture, all that, all that stuff is a lot more interesting because you know, just in, in, in general, as a, as a human being and as an artist, I'm, I, I just want to learn about stuff that I'm unfamiliar with. I mean, that's sort of what attracts me to all this, you know, it's like seeing this woman in the cafe, you know, recruiting people to Radiant Rose. I'm like, okay, what is Radiant Rose? Oh, and then that leads me to whatever. So my, I kind of follow my interests that way. So, yeah. Yeah. And are you hoping then, like you've already alluded a little bit to it, but are you hoping that viewers, like, what are you hoping that viewers will take away from watching Cosmic Dawn? Is it to like maybe even look up a little bit more and see some of the stars and look for things or have more empathy for the unknown? Or what is it that you're hoping like, as a takeaway, I guess? Well, I mean, I just, you know, I think uh, we live in kind of tough times right now with the pandemic and and just everything going on in society so i think the film's a little bit of a you know a little escapism for people so i hope that people can go and have a have a fun time watching all the crazy psychedelic colors and and sort of enter a world that's unfamiliar to them um and then just on a on a on a different level sort of what i said before you know it's like do i believe in this I think I think you know people's people's reactions to the film might say a lot about you know who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you do you want to believe in the unknown, or are you going to go through the film and be like these people are full of shit? You know, and in terms are they on are they on to something, or are they all full of shit? You know, that's sort of the central question. Yeah, and in terms of responses that you've gotten for the film, like you said, you already had some screenings, like. Have people come to you or mention like that they have seen other things like unidentified objects in the sky or had abductions? No, mostly people are just really skeptical about <laughs> my experience. So that's usually <laughs> usually what I get asked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. Come yeah. on. It must have been this. That's generally generally yeah. sort of what it is. And then and then people 
people seem to be really interested in the language, the the what we call reptine, the language in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a sort of a big talking point with with people. And then, you know, and then people are like, in your mind, I get to ask this a lot, in your mind, is all this real or is it all all in their heads? And I mean, that's not for me to answer. Yes. Yeah. That's up to the audience. It's funny because it's like the UN UFO is just unidentified. It's just that there's something there. It doesn't always mm-hmm. necessarily have to be quote unquote aliens. It's that mm-hmm. th- there was just something that whether we can't explain it or whether it's the limit of science or whatever it may be, there's something that we can't explain. As you said, you were like 12 years old. You didn't have mm-hmm. enough quote unquote knowledge or like background. You didn't have a degree, <laughs> anything to really kind of process the experience that you were having. Right. Mm-hmm. So. That's, I think, too, mm-hmm. what you're talking about, where, like, are these people full of shit or not? Like, sometimes people see something and they just not qualified, quote-unquote qualified, to understand what it is that they've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess in a, in a certain way. I, I don't necessarily know if, if, you know, the level of education that you've had, but I think maturity and sort of life experience probably, you know, like, you know, when you're younger, I mean, as, as you get older, you know, you have people pass away, you have experiences that you, you know, seem very serendipitous and you can't quite explain. I mean, everybody's had these experiences at some point in life where, you know, it's spooky Mm -hmm. things that happen, you know, like, man, that's a crazy coincidence. I can't believe that that happened, you know, and you start trying to find meaning in, in, in that. And when you're, when you're younger, I, I think it's just much more of a sensory experience than it is, you know, an, an intellectual experience. So, yeah. So the film is called Cosmic Dawn, and it'll be coming out on uh, digital release on uh, February 11. But I think it'll be mm-hmm. have it'll have some theater uh, theatrical screenings in the U.S. as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. It's actually it's opening in Vancouver on the on February 4th. So very soon, it's playing in Vancouver, um, and then it opens in Los Angeles and Denver on the weekend of February 11th. And I know that we're. We're looking at getting dates in, in Toronto here in, in Canada right now, but we'll see with all the theater restrictions and all that stuff. I, I think that's it's things are kind of up in the air in terms of how things how open things are going to be and what capacity levels are at and all that stuff. But BC is more open than than Toronto is at, at this time. So Okay. I'll put the link in there as well so that people then can then follow up and then see uh, if their screenings show up or where they can download it on February 11. So, but thank okay. you so much, Jefferson, for hanging out. Uh, we covered. Yeah, thanks, Sammy. Uh, we covered Star Wars. Uh, your mm-hmm. uh, your close encounter when you were 12 years old, and that the movie is called Cosmic mm-hmm. Dawn. So, thank you very much for like hanging out. Yeah, thanks, Sammy. I appreciate it, and I, I hope everybody enjoys the film. May you reach the dawn. writer and director Jefferson Moneo and I'm Sammy host of my summer lair he and I were talking about Cosmic Dawn if you want to check out this movie go to your nearest on demand platform or check out Cosmic Dawn film on Twitter at Cosmic Dawn film for nearby screenings reach out let me know what you think oh and you have to let me know what you thought of Jefferson's crazy life story or, you want to get into this? Let's get into this a little bit. Have you had a similar experience? Have you seen something unexplained in the night sky? 
something that defies easy explanation. Reach out. Reach out. Like, seriously, reach out. I'm so curious. I'm at my summer layer for all three. My summer layer for Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. What do you think of Jefferson's crazy light story? And have you had a similar experience? Something that was unexplained. Thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. UFOs, yo.